0: To Judges 16, we're gonna see a picture really of the descent of Israel, the descent of, of Israel's greatest hero in all of the book of Judges. The greatest hero of the book of Judges is Samson. We we don't see any other judge of comparative strength to Samson. And yet we're gonna see that as he gave in to temptation and sin, he was blinded by his sin. And he fell into darkness. Turn in your Bibles to Judges 16. We're going to read verses 1 to 31. This is God's holy inspired word. Samson went to Gaza, and there he sought a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the, with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, that I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pin. and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and loom and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when he, she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean on them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I might be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray. Father, what a sobering account you've given us in your word. I pray, Lord, that we might be rightly sobered by it, but that, Lord, we also might have faith in you through it as well. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would you would bring your words home to bear in our hearts, in our minds, that we might love you, that we might live for you. Lord, would you enable us by your spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the story of Samson, how do you react? When you when you hear the tale of of all this Samson and all of ex, uh, his exploits, how do you react to that? Or, or how do you react when after the wonderful time, last, I guess, chapter 15, two weeks ago, when we were in this passage, we heard about how Samson he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And yet now we see that Samson has fallen mightily. When you read of Samson, when you hear his story, how do you react to that? Do you think, how could he be so dumb? How could, how could Samson, like, three times in a row, and then he went for a fourth? Why in the world did he let Delilah bind him at all? Much less four times. What is going on with Samson? Why was he there to begin with? How could he? You ever think that? How could Samson be so dumb? How could he be so sinful? How could he be so blind? If you read it, wondering those things and thinking those things, you might be reading the story wrong. Because you see, he he represents the best of the best. I know that sounds shocking, because he really does some of the worst, right? But he he represents the best of the judges. He he is the culmination, the twelfth and final judge, the fullness of the judges, the strongest, the mightiest judge. And yet he is flawed and he fails mightily. But God's people were not meant to see Samson and compare themselves to him and say, oh, I'm glad we're not like Samson. They were meant to see that Samson was actually a reflection, a picture of who they had become. God had mightily saved them. He had mightily rescued them. He brought them out through his great might and power. And yet God's people time after time had disobeyed. Time after time gone their own way. Done what was right in their own eyes. And and they got to the place that even though God had put them in the land of promise. They squandered it and they became blind. And it isn't just a picture though of the people of Israel. He's also a picture of often how God's people respond. Samson shows us the tragedy of what happens when you acquiesce to sin and become comfortable in it. At the beginning of the story, he, he shows us this just triumph. At the very beginning, the first three verses, we see this, this triumph in adversity. He triumphs, he, he grabs the city gates, and he carries them 40 miles away put someone on top of a hill, but then we see he immediately acquiesces, he gives in to sin. And in the end, we're also going to see, though, there's, even in his darkest moment, literally, there is triumph in asking God to save. Samson represents God's people, but he also functions as a pointer to a greater deliverer. As we go through the chapter, I want you to be listening for how does he point to a greater deliverer to come? Because that's what he was. He was a forerunner, pointing to the great deliverer to come. A forerunner that he was not sufficient, but one who is sufficient is needed. And we see at the very beginning, the first three verses, that that we see triumph in adversity by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables Samson to do something that is astonishing, and there's, there's a triumph in his adversity, and being surrounded by enemies, there is a triumph. As enemies are laying in wait, as they're seeking to trap him, to kill him, to ambush him, there is a triumph that we see in the first three verses, and I think that's what we're meant to see. Now, if you, if you read this wrongly, in light of his prior sin, you might get the wrong impression. You see, most people skip over the first three verses of this passage. Or they view them as some weird aside that's, that's unrelated to the main passage, but it's, it frames things up, really, for this whole passage. At the beginning, he has triumph, and the end is triumph. Both are through God's power. Both are through God's power. The odd thing that we see this verse, as this chapter opens up is that Samson is alone. Now that should, that should surprise us, that should shock us. Where are God's people? He, is, he has killed 1,000 people with the jawbone of a donkey. He, and the army was behind him and did nothing. There was 3,000 men or so behind him when they took him to deliver him to the Philistines. And yet no one was around. They didn't follow him after that. That is shocking. You would think they would say, we need a deliverer. Samson, would you lead us? And they will follow him. But yet he's all alone because God's people have deserted their deliverer. And this is not just another episode detailing the sin of Samson, these first three verses. At least I don't believe so. You see, that we see the exact same kind of wording when it says, he went into the prostitute here in this. I don't know that this talking about sin here, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm being cautious here. Because we see the same kind of verbiage, the exact same wording, actually, in Judges 4.22. When, when Barak, he goes into the tent of Jael, he says he goes into Jael. He, he's going into the tent, but he's not going in there for nefarious purposes. He's going in there to chase Sisera, who is God's enemy. And then we see as well in, in the book right before this, in Joshua, the book of Joshua ta- tells about how when Israel was wanting to take over Jericho, Joshua sent out two spies. And where do those two spies go? So those two spies went, and they went to the house of a prostitute, to Rahab. Now, why did they do that? You might, might wonder. Well, if you were a judge, if you were a conqueror and you were looking to go and take down a city, the first thing you would do is you would go and, and get a lay of the land. You would, you would figure out where things are and who was where and you would scout out your enemy. But you wouldn't just go to a town like a normal visitor might, because a normal visitor would go to a town and they would go to the gate, they would talk to the elders and say, hey, how can I find a place to stay? And they would give them lodging and they would arrange it that way at the gate of the city. But, but Samson wanted to go in unnoticed, so he goes in and he stays with this prostitute. Notice it doesn't give the detail of saying he's sinful in doing this. I think this is a, a kind of a picture of the same thing of he is actually going in to do his job. He's, he's actually going into the city in order to carry out his role as a deliverer. And how, why do I think that's Because when you're seeking to take over a city in ancient times, you would first attack its gates. And once you breach the gates of the city, then you would take the whole city down. So that's what we see. Samson—he is—he's going into the city, and he somehow they find out that he's there. He—he he tries to go in unnoticed, and somehow they find out he's there, and they lay an ambush. And and silly enough, they lay an ambush for Samson, thinking, "Hey, we'll wait till this—it's daylight, and then we'll attack him." And instead of doing the smart thing and thinking, "Well, hey, we'll wait till he's asleep, and then we'll attack him," they—they they, like, hey, we'll wait till he wakes up. And so they go and they wait in the gate. And there's probably different housing in the sides of the gate for. Combating the enemy when they would come in. But, but Samson, he wakes up at midnight and he goes out and he lifts. This is an incredible picture. This is an incredible triumph. That God, by his spirit, only God can enable a human being to pick up city gates. Weighing probably a couple thousand pounds, several thousand pounds. He picks up these gates and he, he puts them on his shoulders. And he carries them to the hill facing Horeb. Which is about 40 miles away, by the way. This, this, this hill that was kind of the peak in between Philistine land and, and Israelite land, this, this hill in between the Valley of Sorek and, and the Israelites, that would have been able to be seen for miles around. And, and I love the imagery there. They, he, he takes these gates and he carries them all the way up there and he sets them on the hill as if to say, look at what your deliverer has done. And so all the people of Israel can see that he's, he's chief victory. He's taken the gates of the enemy, and you would expect Israel to come out and join him. Maybe that's why he doesn't do anything after this. He, maybe he's a little bummed out that God's people didn't follow him. But it, it's a sign both to the enemy, to the Philistines, that, that God has defeated them. He's beginning the defeat. He's taken the gates. And it's also a sign to God's people that God is beginning to save Israel. His, his pulling up of these gates symbolizes the beginning of the deliverer's defeat of Gaza. And our passage is going to end with the pulling down to the temple of Dagon. It's marking both the, the beginning of defeat and then the final defeat of the false gods. And so these, these first three verses, they, they function kind of as a, as a picture of triumph and adversity by the power of the Spirit. But unfortunately, our story doesn't end there. We have verses 4 to 21, and those show us really this, the tragedy in acquiescing to sin. There is a tragedy that comes as he gives in to sin, as he gives into temptation. Now, we don't, we don't know the details exactly. We don't know even if he married her or if he was with her without being married. We have no idea. It just says, after this, he loved a woman. He loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek. The Valley of Sorek was a valley that, that went between the land of Israel and the land of the Philistines. It tells us her name was Delilah, that's actually a Hebrew name. He's not necessarily sinning here in, in loving Delilah. And he's a bad judge of character. But Delilah, whose name can mean either flirt or of the night, neither of which is a good indicator for Samson, Maybe the author lists her name here because she's the one who will darken and blind Samson's eyes. He, Samson was known as the son or the child of the sun, And she is of the night. Kind of signaling this shift to tragic defeat to come. Somehow the Lord of the Philistines, they find out that Samson is in her place, that he is there. And they are probably still on the hunt for him. Actually, After all, he is considered an enemy of the state of Philistine or the Philistine state. He was a wanted enemy, and they were willing to pay a large sum. And it says that the Philistine lords came to Delilah, and they paid her, were willing to pay her 1,100 pieces of silver each. And there's probably five Philistine lords, because there's five Philistine cities, and it speaks of five Philistine lords in the Bible. And so these lords, they come to her, and they, they offer 1,100 pieces of silver each. Now, we'll find out in the next chapter of Judges that, that 10 pieces of silver was a good year's wage. She's offered 1,100 pieces of silver probably by five different people. That's like five and a half million a piece. 25, 30 million, somewhere in that range. That's a pretty big offer. So she gives in to this temptation and the offer was too good for Delilah to turn down. People have betrayed others for far less. Is too good for her to turn down? And it really reveals the importance of uh, picking who you love really carefully. It, 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 it reveals the importance of not giving your heart to somebody before you actually understand who they are. Of not getting involved with somebody until you, you know that they're following after the Lord, that they are pursuing the Lord, that, that they, their character matters. So Delilah asks Samson, says, tell me, Tell me where your great strength lies. And get this, she just asks him straight up. Look in, look in verse 6. She's, she's not beating around the bush. She's not indirect. Hey, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And you would think, Samson, why did you not run right then? She's telling you exactly what she wants to do to you and asks you, how where's your strength so that somebody could subdue you? She wasn't exactly indirect about it. We're not sure what he thought deliberately, but he he lied to her. He's playing the game. He didn't think that that temptation, that that was a big deal, the temptation to give up his vow to God. He didn't think that was a big deal, and so he was playing the game with her. And then even crazier is that in verse 9, it tells us she had men laying in ambush in the inner chamber. I don't know how Samson didn't like check out the whole house, but He didn't notice the other room where there's a bunch of people. Or maybe he did, and he just didn't care because he was that arrogant. And so when she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you, he says, he throws them off. She calls the men in. and says, the secret of his strength was not known. What's shocking is the incredibly poor judgment that Samson displays after being betrayed once. After being betrayed the first time? After toying with her? After playing her game? And she betrays him and has people staying in her house to ambush him? He's like, no big deal. I love her. (laughs) By the way, if anybody ever manipulates you like that, run. If anybody ever... Sets an ambush for you, run. He's so driven, though, by his senses and his feelings that he sticks with Delilah. And it's really a picture of how he is so driven by sensuality, by what he wants, what he thinks is best, what looks good to him, what his heart wants. You know that the world around us says that what the heart wants is good. That is not always true. Often it's the, the reverse. His emotional connection, his attraction, his feelings for her, they blinded him. And he stays with her. And by the way, as an aside, if you're, if you're not married, um, I would just caution you, don't, don't let your emotions be connected to someone before, before you know that they're a follower of Christ, that they are passionate about him and more passionate about him than you don't, don't be blinded by your emotions so that you, can, you, you miss the character of the person that you're pursuing, that, that you think is attractive, that you fall in love with. Don't allow your heart to go there, by the way. I don't think that's the main lesson, but boy, there's some, some things to learn here. Don't be involved with somebody before you know they had godly character. Not just professing love for God, but demonstrating love for God check on their character without them knowing you know check and see are they the kind of person who serves in secret do they how do they treat their family how do they treat their friends how do they treat the people in the church how, are they a member of a church do they serve in church are they engaged it doesn't matter what their job is blue collar white collar but it does matter are they diligent are they faithful are they seeking the lord or do they have ambition for the kingdom of god or do they have selfish ambition are they humble and treatable they respond well to being corrected are they manipulative and deceitful Are they transparent? Are they honest? Are they genuinely loving and kind? Are they really seeking to get for themselves? But Samson gives them a pass. He gives her a pass because he loves her. That's very dangerous. Don't give them a pass because you think somebody's funny. They like the same things you get along. They're really nice. I like them. Delilah's deceit was obvious, and there was absolutely no sane reason for him staying with her. Yet he was blinded by his affections. And you know, love can make you a little insane sometimes. Can't it? <laughs> but not only did Samson not leave her, he went through the same thing again. Verses 10 to 12, the uh, same thing repeats itself again. And, and Samson is toying with temptation. He is playing this game. He is, he is comfortable around sin. And he's just fine because he thinks he's probably strong enough to to say no, he's probably strong enough to resist it. He was too cocky, too proud of his strength, and he's still stuck with her a second time. But then again, the whole thing repeats itself, and I don't get this one. The people come out of the inner chamber again. Hello, Samson. And yet, the same thing repeats. Samson throws them off. And then you see the, the manipulation ramp up. Verse 13. She says, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. like, Hello? Uh, haven't you done exactly what you're accusing him of? And so he tells her another lie. A third time, same thing happens again. They come out from hiding and they attack him. Three times, Samson still sticks with Delilah. His, what he wants What he pursues, what he thinks is right, it blinds him to reality. It blinds him to his own weakness of arrogance and pride. It blinds him into thinking that he is self-sufficient, that it's really his strength that overcomes. He is blinded. He's not relying on the Lord. He's not looking to God. He's not obeying God. He has been blinded by what he wants, blinded by his emotions, blinded by sin, blinded by his desires. It's the tragedy of acquiescing to sin. And we are not immune to that. It it, it doesn't begin with these huge things. It really does. It begins by us giving in to what we want, by being drawn by our emotions, by being tempted to do what seems right in our own eyes. And eventually you think, how could Samson get here? But let me ask you this question. How many times have you sinned in the same way three times in a row? Anybody? Raise your hand. I mean, it's okay. Don't tell me what the sin is, okay? Don't do that. But but raise your hand for a second. Just Keep it up there. How many times have you sinned three times in a row the same kind of sin in your life? Now look around. Good, you're in good company. We're not better than Samson. Our sin's just not written about. And I'm really glad. (laughs) I find myself at times thinking, how could I do the same dumb thing again? How How could I sin against God in the same way and I know better? And it comes as we as we make those choices to do what seems right in our own eyes, as we follow our emotions, our desires, we live by our senses instead of living by empowered by the Holy Spirit, trusting in Him. Instead, we trust in our own strength. And by the way, trusting in your own strength, you will fall to sin. But we're not meant to do that. We're not meant to stand in our own strength. We're not meant to trust in our own strength and ability. We're meant to trust in the Holy Spirit and His ability because he's already overcome sin, but we can't do it on our own. We can't fight in battle. He'll provide a way of escape that we can bear up under it, but only as we trust in him. Samson, he's not doing that. He's trusting his own strength. You know, it brings to mind to saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know what it is after three times, but it's absolutely insane. And he still sticks with Delilah. So she says, how can you tell me you love me when your heart isn't with me? She totally manipulates him. And it says, I love how it puts it, when she kept pressing him and pressing him and urging him, in verse 16 at the end, it says his soul was vexed to death. He's like, God, I just want to die now. And he was willing to do anything to get out of the way she was making him feel. And so he stupidly gave her his heart, even knowing he, he couldn't fully trust her heart, knowing she'd betray him. But the temptation was too strong, and he was weak, and he gave in and and after she cut his hair, she puts him to sleep on his knees, she cuts his hair, she torments him, he gets up, thinking he's going to shake him off. His own strength, his own ability, he's going to, I can just, God's always going to be there for me. If I, if I wake up, I, I can just trust that, hey, uh, I'll shake off this sin easily. I'll be able to resist it this time, and it's no big deal. I can change. I'm just going to sin a little bit, and then it'll be, it'll be fine and good. I'll turn back to God. But that doesn't happen here. That doesn't actually in our own lives, too. Don't, don't think that you can continue on in a path of sin and there won't be consequences. Thinking, no big deal, I'll repent later. There is a tragic word in, tragic line in verse 20 at the end of the passage. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He became so desensitized by his sin that he no longer felt God's presence. And, and there there can become a desensitization to sin in our own lives. when we, When we continue to pursue a path of sin, we're gonna harden our hearts until we no longer even are aware of God's presence. He toyed with blatant sin, and sometimes I think we do the same thing. He, he saw what he thought was good in his own eyes. You know, how do we look at sin? Do we see it as enticing? Do we think that it's rewarding? Do we live comfortably amongst sin and temptation? He entertains temptation like a fool, and his arrogance is a downfall, and the sun sets for good on this child of the sun. Samson's a picture of the, the blinding, literally the blinding power of sin. He's also a picture of the, the spiritual blindness of God's people. He's, he, he's the, a picture of the blindness that, that causes slavery to sin. That's what we're going to see. He's a slave. He ends up as a slave to the God Dagon that Israel was worshiping. And it's like God says, hey, if you, if you want to worship this God, you're going to become a slave to it. The very thing you want to worship is the thing you will become blind and a slave to. And that's all of us caught in sin, trapped in sin. We without God, without Him calling, without calling on Him and Him rescuing us, we are all blind in our sins, slaves to sin. Samson here is a picture of God's people, blinded to sin, slaves to sin. In darkness, serving as a slave to idols. But then there's hope in the midst of Samson's weakness and his blindness and his defeat and his darkness. Even as he's bound and made a slave, he's forced to hard labor, pushing a millstone. Samson, he finds something. He finds triumph in asking God to save. He experienced triumph and adversity by the Holy Spirit. Then he has the tragedy of acquiescing to sin. And Now we see that, that triumph is found in asking God to save. He doesn't save himself. This is not Samson's great strength. He's not able to do anything. He, he, he has his hands against the pillars, but until he prays to God, until God responds to him in prayer and enables him, he's not able to do anything. So don't be mistaken, although it doesn't directly say that. He, he, he's praying and, and that we're meant to see that it is as he prays and his, he asks God that God saves him in his darkest moment. But because he had entertained temptation like a fool, he's brought low and now he's just a fool for the enemy's entertainment. But in this darkest hour, when all hope is lost, I love verse 22. Look down your Bibles in verse 22. We see a glimmer of God's grace. It's just, the author is brilliant in his foreshadowing here. In verse 22, it tells us, The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, it wasn't his hair that gave him his strength. It was him trusting in God and the vow that he was set apart to God. And so when he, when he reveals that vow and forsakes that vow to her and his head is shaved, it's an outward sign of what is happening to him. And so this is an outward sign of God's grace beginning to come alive in him again. Maybe the growing hair reminded Samson of who he was and he was beginning to see his need for God again. And they all gather this this image. They all gather to worship. They have this this huge celebration to worship their false god Dagon. And then they they slander and blaspheme God. In verse 23, it says, Our God has given Samson into our enemy, our enemy into our hand. And, And when they saw Samson, they praised their God. Our God, as you're an Israelite reading this, you were meant to be revolted by that. Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country. He's killed many of us. And when their hearts are married, they called him to make a mockery, not just of Samson, but of the Israelites' deliverer, to make a mockery of God. Samson comes out. He has, he's come to his senses. Before, when he had physical sight, he was too blind to see what he needed to do. Now that he has no sight, he sees what he needs to do. And so he has this young man guide him to the place to put his hand on the pillars, and he cries out, he says, to Yahweh, the great covenant-keeping God, the creator of heaven and earth. He cries out to the covenant-keeping God above all gods, and he prays, and he says, O oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me. Only this once, that I might be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And I don't think this is just a prayer for his own revenge. You see, that eyes is an imagery, the Doing what's right in their own eyes, an imagery of really that runs throughout the book of Judges. Doing what's right in our own eyes leads to blindness. So he's asking God for restoration. Not physical sight. He's asking God for that he might be avenged, that God's deliverer might be avenged. So God enables him, Samson, the entertainer, to literally bring the house down. And Samson knew that in his death he'd kill, kill the Philistines there and he, he, he would cut off the head of the snake by taking out their leaders. And so he bows with all his strength. And the whole place comes down and it kills everyone. I can't imagine the scene. It's this grand temple built in Gaza as an edifice to the false god Dagon. And yet God uses one person to take that down. His deliverer takes down the stronghold of the enemy. He takes down the place of worship to the false god. He, he crashes. He triumphs through his death. Dagon the Philistines is no match for Yahweh working through his deliverer. Samson, he's the last judge listed. And after this, by the way, a little heads up, things are going to get darker, a lot darker in judges. Because God's people failed to follow the He's the only deliverer that says that people never followed him. Out of all twelve of them, the final, the culmination of the judges, they didn't, the people didn't recognize him as a the deliverer. They didn't follow him. And so finally, God says, no more. And he gives them over to their sins. It's the culmination of the, the cultural, the social decline, the moral decline of Israel, the result of their covenant unfaithfulness. And this is a picture of that. And yet, God is determined to save his people through. His deliverer, despite blindness and sin, is slavery to sin. God faithfully, he mercifully restores and rescues sinners by his grace. And, and Samson, he's a picture of, of calling on the name of the Lord. It says, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. His people don't follow him in that. He was their most capable warrior yet by far. But they didn't recognize him as their deliverer. They failed to... Recognize him as their judge. And he had failed to judge rightly. But in the end, he realized, I've been called to something greater. And I've been called to self-sacrifice. And in the end, we see that he actually sacrifices himself. This is not suicide. This is him sacrificing himself to rescue God's people from blindness. That's what we're meant to see. To rescue God's people from blindness in a sacrificial death. He's rescuing God's people from enslavement through a sacrificial death. He is, he is taking the head of the snake. He is cutting off the head of the enemy through his sacrificial death. But by the end, you realize that the people sunk so low, they need to be completely redeemed. They need a new kind of deliverer. You know, God gave us the book of Judges as a warning to show us just how deceived and depraved that each and every one of us can become without his merciful grace. All hope would be lost for us without his grace. If you think you're better than Samson, think again. (laughs) Samson was the most spirit-filled judge in all the book of Judges. Four times it speaks of him being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit rushing on him. No other judge does it say that of. The strongest, the mightiest judge. Don't think you're better than Samson. That's why God had to send another deliverer. Samson pointed forward to another deliverer. He pointed forward to one. Who would crush the enemy. Who would crush Satan's head. In his death, he would, be, he would raise himself up on a cross. And, and in his death, he would sacrifice himself so that he would crush the power of the evil one. He would defeat God's enemies. He would take the head of the serpent. Unlike Samson, toying with Delilah's temptation three times, we see in the Gospels that that Jesus, he denies temptation three times, and the devil himself comes. His people didn't recognize him as the greatest deliverer humanity has ever known. Jesus' his own people didn't recognize him, even though it seemed like he might. He had a triumphant entry, he came into the city of Jerusalem, and, and you think, oh my goodness, everybody's going to follow him. But then he said some things and did some things they didn't like that made him uncomfortable They said that he, they had to the trust in him as a deliverer, and they wanted nothing to do with it. And so his own people betrayed him. They left him. They deserted him. Unlike Samson, Jesus was humble. He stayed on his mission. He was faithful to the end. He knew that he must become, though, the ransom to rescue God's people from their blindness and slavery. And as he was hung on the cross, before he breathed his, his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was giving his life, so we might have life in him. He offered himself up to free his people from blindness, from slavery. He refused to accept release so that he might rise again. He bore our sins in his body. He lays down his life as a ransom for us to crush the enemy, to deliver God's people. He conquered death. He has. Samson began the work. He was pointing forward to David, the Messiah, who wasn't really the real Messiah, who was pointing to Christ, who finished the work of deliverance. The question is, how will we respond when we hear this story of Samson? Will we forsake our sins? Will we trust in Christ? Will we follow the true deliverer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that's is beautiful that that doesn't tell us the same story the same way but tells the story of our need for deliverer in different ways so that we can understand the multifaceted grace that you give to us that you pour out on us in Christ. God would you would you help us hate our own sin would you help us Say no to temptation, not be blinded by sin, not, not give ourselves over again to sin and so become slaves of it, Lord. But would you, we cry out to you and ask you to save us. Would you rescue us, Lord? Would you help us live for you? Would you enable us to live for you by your grace? Enable us to trust in you, the great deliverer, and follow you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.